Brandon. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, when I see what our church is doing in the area of missions, it makes me very excited. And uh, there's a, a sense that we are part of something much bigger than just our local church. And I'm just thrilled to do that. One of the first assignments I gave Brandon back in January was, I said, Brandon, we want to we want to kind of coordinate our mission efforts and understand what we're doing and coordinate our CMJ efforts. And he's done both of those uh, masterfully. And I'm really thankful for Brandon being part of our church and and leading in these two areas. Uh, the videos, uh, the young gal, Katie, her name was Katie O'Connor. And uh, in uh, she grew up in our church in Minnesota. Sherry and I were her pastor for for seven years, uh, and I had her in confirmation. And so that was really neat to see Katie now as a missionary. And uh, Tom Kelly, he and I went to seminary together, and when I saw the video of him, the first thing I thought of was, man, he looks really old. <laughs> what happened? We played basketball together in seminary, and I said, he looks really old. So I, I don't know what happened to him, but I, thankfully I still look the same. But uh, that's all good. So today we're going to welcome you to, we just have a short time today, but that's okay. Uh, uh, we, I want to welcome you to the second week in our series on financial freedom. So let's begin by reviewing uh, last week. In order to be financially free, we need two things in our lives. Those two things are margins and balance. We need to have margins in our life financially, time-wise, and other ways. And we need balance in our lives. And we talked last week about the three laws of physical balance. And the first law of phys- physical balance is... Uh, it is a proper reference point. Um, when you're balancing on a balancing beam or a, a tight, tight rope or something like that, a high wire, uh, you're always focusing on one object. You're juggling, you're always focusing on one object. You need a proper reference point. And last week, we gave you that, from Scripture, that proper reference point uh, in your personal finances. In other words, we asked the question, what's the one thing you can't take your eye off of? And you remember what that was? And it was, I need to be knowing where, what, where my money's going. So you need to be knowing where your money's going. And I asked you to keep track of your money this last week. I had one person that came up to me this morning and said, um, uh, we have had a very, very difficult time uh, giving any money to the church because our budget's so tight. But as I did this exercise this week, I discovered that I spent $37.50 at Starbucks in one week. In one week. I mean, that's the equivalent to a lot of money. That's about $150 a month. And so they said, we're, we're going to make some adjustments. We'll still go to Starbucks, just not every day. And we want to start giving something to our church. So we need to be knowing where our money's going. And so I want you to continue doing that. Today we're going to look at kind of the spiritual side, uh, uh, kind of the spiritual side of that idea today. So continue with your homework of keeping track of your money. You know, it's really complicated finances. You know, get a piece of paper, date, what you bought, and how much it was. That's really complicated. You can do this. Sophisticated system. You've got to be knowing where your money's going. And then also, uh, we recognize the second law of balance was constant corrections, and we'll look at that next week. And the third uh, law of physical balance is having a clear objective. If you are Blondin in 1845, walking across the Niagara Falls on a suspended wire for the first time, and you've got your balancing stick and you're doing all of that, the thing that he needs to know is he has a clear objective. The clear objective is what? To get to the other side. 
On one direction, he had his clear objective was to get to Ontario, Canada. The other was to get back to New York. You know, that's his clear objective. And we need a clear objective uh, to know where our, what to do with our money uh, financially. So today we're going to ask this question. What is one basic overall objective when it comes to my money? So what's the one thing that you're trying to accomplish with your money? Now, you can say various different things. So some might say, well, my one clear objective to my money is to take care of my family. That's a good objective. I mean, we all recognize that. That's very good. That's, that's, that's uh, got, you know, excellent uh, thought behind it. And it's a great objective, a great goal. But, but that's not enough. Because I know some people that take really good care of their family, but they're not generous in giving to other things and to giving to other people. So we need to stay balanced in our giving. So it's good to have uh, provide for your family. That's a good thing. But that's not the only thing. Uh, some people say, if I'm honest, um, I'm going to make all the money I can. My clear objective is to make all the money I possibly can. Well, we recognize the, 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 the fault in that, uh, that uh, where our treasure is, there is our heart as well. And one thing we can't do is make the clear objective of our life to make as much money as we possibly can, because that takes away every sense of, of generosity, and every sense of presence with God. So that can't be the clear objective. Another one might say, well, um, it, it's to save as much as possible. Again, that's a good objective to your money, to save as much as possible. Now, those people, some of you are here, those people that save as much as possible, they're not very much fun to live with, you know, because, uh, you know, can we, let's go out to dinner tonight. No, no, we're not going to dinner. You know, they, they squeeze that buffalo on the nickels in pain, you know, and, and, and again, it's good to save money, right? Right. But if that's the only thing you're doing, that's not balance in your life. Uh, or some say, well, my clear objective is to spend as much as I possibly can. I did uh, a wedding uh, about a year ago for uh, a, a young couple. They're not in our church. Start, don't start going through the roster of who it might be. Uh, uh, but this young couple, the, the wife in our, we, in our counseling, we talked about finances as one of the uh, things that we do. And what's your clear objective? My, she said, my clear objective is to spend money. And I said, okay, well, that's interesting. What does that mean? She says, what that means is that I just buy whatever I want and I never worry about the consequences or the money. I let my husband take care of that. I looked over at the husband and he looked, uh, well, he looked pretty whipped, first of all. And, uh, you know, you know, you figure that. And, and I, I said, well, what, what do you do? How do you, how do you respond to that? He said, well, I just get another job. Okay, so they have a clear objective about finances, but you know what? They're headed for disaster. And we all know that. Or even, so, so all of those can be clear objectives, but none of those give you the overall uh, balance, the moral compass, the true north that you need to know how to handle and to distribute your wealth and your finances. So it's, it's not enough. Those things keep you out of balance. So we want to answer that question. What is our basic overall objective when it comes to money? And we want to answer that question from Scripture. What is the clearest objective? And we want to give that direction from the Bible. In other words, what's the clearest objective that we have that helps us in our earning, our spending, our saving, and our giving? What is the one thing? Like Curly says in, what, what's the movie, Curly? Yes, yeah, City Slickers. Curly says one thing matters. Well, this is the one thing the Bible tells us about in our uh, having this clear objective in what we're doing with our money. So, uh, now some of you might say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of afraid to know what this one thing is, because once I know what the one thing is, I, I'll know what the one thing is. And I'm kind of afraid. Of, do, don't be afraid of that, because we said last week 
And what I want to confirm, God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. He doesn't want to take something away from you. Too many people already think that God is stingy. They think that God is stingy. He doesn't give me enough. He doesn't provide me enough money, a, a good enough job or a good enough wife or something. You know, we already, already kind of think that. But, but, but God wants you to know today, and I want you to know as your pastor, don't be afraid. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. So relax, press into this one simple truth, and you will experience peace and liberation. I guarantee it. I guarantee peace and liberation if you press in to this one truth. So the truth can be found in the Old Testament, be found in the New Testament, but I want to tell you, uh, use a scripture from the Old Testament to help you figure out this one clear objective you have in your life. Um, uh, so the book of First Chronicles, Okay, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, you know, good luck finding it. Um, uh, in my Bible, it's page 843. That won't help you very much. Uh, it's about a third of the way into the Bible. The book of First Chronicles, chapter 29. And uh, I want to give you some backstory, some context. because This is really kind of cool. So King David of Israel, by the way, this First Chronicles is at least in part the story of David. Uh, his life and uh, being king and all of that. So uh, David is king of Israel, and this is about 1,000 B.C. Now, I don't know if you ever think about this, but I, I do, and I, and I think it's really cool. The Bibles that you're holding in your hands, this story is both historical and verifiable that this happened. And uh, that means that what you're holding in your hand is 3,000 years old. I mean, that's, that's pretty phenomenal. There's nothing else in history like that. There's no other literature that we have even close to knowing how old, as old as that, the Old Testament. So, so that book that you're holding, 3,000 years, that's pretty cool. So David's in a place, uh, in First Chronicles 29, David's in a place in his life where all of his enemies are defeated. All of his battles are won. There is peace in the empire. There's kingdom. They have set up this amazing kingdom in Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, the bit, bit, made big palaces for the king David to live in, and everything's incredible, and the palace is incredible, and uh, and, and David walks over to the, the window of his uh, this uh, palatial uh, residence, and he looks out the window, and he sees out there a little ways out in the countryside, he sees that uh, God is is still living in a tent. Uh, it's called the tabernacle. So, so, so God's living in a tent. You know, God's camping out. And, and here, all, but all the Jews are in these amazing homes and this wonderful place. But, but, but God's still living in a tent. So uh, David thinks to himself, you know, that's not appropriate. You know, uh, God needs a, a real live place to stay. You know, now, you know what the tabernacle was? It was this giant, elaborate tent that they carried with them in the 40 years in the wilderness. And inside this tent was the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, which was a wooden box inlaid with gold. And inside the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod and some other really cool stuff. But what represented was supposed to be the idea was that God dwelled in the Holy of Holies. God dwelt in the uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And so God's presence in the Old Testament calls it the Shekinah glory. So God's glory, his presence was there and God's still living in a tent. He's still camping out. And David says, we got to fix that. OK, we want to fix that. So um, after the Israelites stopped wandering, built their homes in Jerusalem, everything was cool, a great palace for the king. Um, everything was good. And uh, David decides uh, that I, I want to build God a proper home. I want to build uh, a temple. In fact, this was the first 
temple ever built to the Jewish God. So David sits out to uh, build this temple. And, and God comes to him and says, David, 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 great idea. Appreciate your heart. I see what you're trying to do. I'm still camping. but I know, I know what you're trying to do. But David, you can't build the temple. And David said, well, why not? He said, there's too much blood on your hands. You're a man of war. You're a man of murder. You did things that disqualify you from building my temple. Now, for us, if we had done that, we said, yeah, but what about this? And what about that? But David didn't do any of that because David knew that building this temple was not about him, his legacy. It was about God. It was about giving honor to God. And so uh, David didn't whine about it. He said, OK, then how about if I have my son build it, Solomon? And uh, and God said, that, that's great. Uh, we'll have your son build it. And in fact, Solomon's temple is one of the world's ancient wonders. Right. And so uh, David said, OK, if I can't build it, can I at least help kind of prepare the soil for this? And 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 God said, sure, of course. And so David says, OK, I'm going to take money out of the national treasury. And uh, by the way, their national treasury in those days, they didn't owe any money to China. So they actually had money in the bank. You know, so so actually he took money out of the national treasury. And then it says that he took his own personal storage of wealth. Now, the text tells you that hundreds of pounds of gold and silver he took from his personal wealth. Uh, one commentator said that it was billions of dollars. Another commentator said it was probably close to 14 billion dollars. You know, that's Bill Gates uh, money. And, 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 he said, and he said, I am contributing this to uh, build God's temple, his dwelling place, so that he doesn't have to camp out anymore. And so and then David said he announced to all the leading families. He said, I, I want you guys all to see what I'm doing. I'm not just telling you what to do, but I'm showing you uh, what I'm going to do, what I'm prepared to do. And I want you all of you guys to to give as well, because, again, we want God to have a proper home. And, and David said, now, many of you won't even be alive because we're not going to start building this probably until I'm dead. And that was what happened. David died and Solomon took over. But, but the point is, you're not going to be around. But this isn't about you. This is about God. And I want you to wholeheartedly give generously to this project of building the temple, which they did. So in the midst of all of this chaos, David prays a prayer. And when you read this prayer, and we're going to read this in just a moment, um, uh, you're going to discover what should drive us. As we manage our wealth and God's primary objective comes front and center. And so that you will understand everything, everything, everything about how to manage and order your finances. So this is the one thing. First Chronicles 29, 10 through 14. This is the word of God. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, praise be to you, O Lord God of our father Israel. From everlasting to everlasting. Now, verse 11 is kind of the summary statement of David's prayer. Listen to the summary statement. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. So that's the summary statement there in verse 11. And, and what David is saying that God... Everything belongs to you. Not only does everything belong to you, everything comes from you. And the splendor and the glory and the majesty and the wonder. Now, this is the king speaking. 
The king is saying, you, God, are the one that has splendor and glory. Usually kings say, no, I'm the one that has splendor and glory and power and all of that. But David is saying, no, you are the one. And then he continues, wealth and honor come from who? You. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I, David says, and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Did you notice the last part of that, that prayer? David said, how is it possible that we have the privilege of giving to you, God? Uh, can you imagine somebody saying that? I can't wait for the privilege of giving to God. Because, because he recognized that everything we have, every dime that we have, every fingernail that we have belongs to you, God. And so we have the privilege of, of giving back to you just, just a small portion. And this is so beautiful. David is saying, this is all about you. It's yours. All the storehouses, all the money, everything is yours. Everything belongs to you and comes from you. Now, I'm sure that there were some people, some leaders around uh, David. I said, David, um, uh, I don't want to interrupt your prayer, but I know you. <laughs> and I was on the battlefield with you. And you were awesome. And you uh, were the greatest warrior ever. And you say that this is all about God, but no, this David, this is about you. And David said, you don't understand. Even my ability to be a warrior, even my, um, uh, my, my talent, my, uh, my intuition, my ability to inspire, to lead, to motivate, all of that comes from God. And so David said, if that, and if that's the case... That's, there's only one thing, one objective that we should use for our finances. And, I, and I look, as I looked at this text, that the two words that came to me, this is the objective that should modify, motivate everything in your finances. It's this, honor God. Honor God. Now, most of us, uh, since I was a little boy, I was taught that tithing was biblical, and it is. Giving a tenth of what I have to the Lord's work. Otherwise, we can't turn the lights on in the building. We can't hire a youth pastor, a children's pastor. I mean, we need tithes. That's the purpose of them to help the local church and missions happen. Okay, so we need that. But but the problem is that sometimes we get the feeling that, okay, I gave my tithe, God, so, you know, get off my back. You know, I gave you your, your cut. You know, here's your cut. The rest is mine. Leave me alone. You know, this thing that Pastor Dwayne said, I want you to keep track of. I want you to know, be knowing where your money's going. He said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to know that I spend 45 bucks on Starbucks because it's my money, right? And so, so we, you just stay out of the way, God. But, but God comes back and says, no, no, no. All of it belongs to me. Now, we're gonna, there's a family in our church that uh, is going to need to borrow our van for a couple of weeks. And Sherry and I believe that um, we, anything we own, uh, we'll loan out, okay? Um, uh, anything. We own, we'll loan out. And we don't want to, if we have something that we won't loan out, then we don't want to have that because that means it kind of has us. So, so a family needs our, our van. So we're going to um, loan them our van. And, uh, and when we loan them our van, uh, it's, it's not theirs, it's ours. But when they take it, they receive it, 
uh, when they give it back to us, and they will, uh, they're members of our church, wonderful young family. Uh, when they give the van back to us, they're, this is what they're not going to do. They're not going to say, I, I think I'll just give back 10% of the van. I'll just give them a tire back. <laughs> I'll give the gas tank back or I'll give the engine. You know, no, 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 because they're honoring me. Right. And Sherry, because we loan them, they're honoring me by giving it back to us the very best way they can. It'll be washed. I'm sure the Cheerios hopefully will be vacuumed off of the floor. So so they honor us by taking care of all of it. Okay, you're getting my point. I'll give you another example. We show honor to God by how we take care of his stuff. We show honor to God by how we take care of his stuff. So so. August 1st, uh, 1970, it'll be 42 years this August, um, I uh, married my sweetheart. And, uh, and yeah, it was my first wife, and she's still here. And, uh, and so, almost 42 years ago, uh, she was 19 years old, and she was this beautiful, smart, funny, engaging, sexy, amazing woman. 19 years old. You know, just off the farm, it seems, you know, just really young. And, and I asked her to marry me, you know, so I get up there to say my vows at College Center Covenant Church that night. The pastor's there. And I'm giving my vows to God, but you know what? I'm also giving my vows to Art. Her dad. Uh, cause, you know, when I, when you give your vows, you're giving to God and to the dad, right? Guys, we know this. And so I give, God, I, I promise I will honor her and take care of her. And uh, many times obey her and and I, and, I will, and I will do all of this and I will honor her. And, and, and Art's sitting there thinking, how much of her are you going to honor? You gonna honor 10 percent of her, you know, feed her and that's all good. You know, just, you know, here, have a steak. No, 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 no. He expected and God expected that uh, I would honor her completely and 100 percent. I mean, that's what God intends for us. When we recognize what we have, and it all comes, even our ingenuity, our smarts, our abilities, our talents, everything comes from God. And when we recognize that, we press into that, it changes everything. Because now the question is, how am I going to honor God in all of my resources? Not just the 10%, you know, God hears a bone, you know, you stay over there and I'm going to do the night. No, how do we honor God in everything? Now, if that strikes fear in your heart, let me just share this real quickly. If that strikes fear in your heart, two things around that. Um, one, if God wanted to take something from you, he wouldn't need your permission. <laughs> so don't hold on to it too tight. And secondly, uh, God doesn't want to take your money. He, he just doesn't want your money to take you. God's not against Starbucks. God's not against a nice car. I was joking with somebody in our church today that they, they drive the nicest car in church. And I'm, and I'm envious. And I know I'm not supposed to be, but that's my problem. And, 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 and God doesn't mind that. But God doesn't want us to give him his money as much as he wants that money to be part of not our hearts, but what God wants for our hearts. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. See, what we need to get to is the point where we say, I want to honor you with everything and with all of it. Freedom, peace, liberty. And when you experience that, you have overwhelming joy. So you say, "Okay, well, pastor, that's all good. What do I do? 
Tell me, give me three steps to financial freedom. Tell me a plan. Give me some steps. I, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. But here, here's where you can start. You can start with this prayer. And here's the prayer that I would encourage all of you to pray. And I mean seriously pray this prayer. God, show me how to honor you with everything I have. Show me how to honor you with everything I have. Some of you, that'll mean to spend less. Some of you, that'll mean to give more. Some of you, that'll mean to save more because God wants you to be responsible. But God wants you to honor him with everything you have. I I want that prayer to be so much a part of my life. Every time I buy a Diet Coke, I want, God, how do I honor you with my stuff? And he'll say, have a Diet Coke. And at least I hope that's what he says. But this, this, when you do this, when you start praying this prayer, when you start organizing all of your stuff under this one single objective, honor God, it changes everything. Show me how to honor you with my wealth. That takes surrender and that takes faith and that takes commitment. And I just want to encourage you today to take those steps and to pray that prayer. God, how can I honor you with everything that I have? Father, I just want to pray for our congregation Lord, this message is so much in me, and I just wish I could take it from my heart and place it in everyone's heart. If we get this, if we get the fact that everything belongs to God, even our ability to make a dime, everything belongs to God, and then we pray this prayer, Lord, how can I honor you in my giving, my spending, my saving, and my earning? How can I honor you? And when we do that, Father, we know, we know that our lives will be transformed. We will not be owned by our stuff, but we will own our stuff. And for that, Father, we would give you praise and thanksgiving. So bless us to that end. Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.